Hi, I'm Tyra G., your host of Frankly Speaking with Tyra G. Welcome again to our virtual global gathering of phenomenal listeners, fearsome and generous, humble and honest in pursuit of new possibilities and purpose. You know, here we dig deep and we come up strong. We bravely walk into places where tradition has taught us that there are some things we just don't talk about. But not at this table, and no matter how hard judgment knocks, it can't come in. Beloved, here we live beyond the wreckage. Every week we experience, educate, encourage, and empower each other. We have a firm belief that everyone not only has a story, but everyone is a story. So we share the aha moments and stories that have been left in our pockets for way too long. Although many of your voices will speak light into the darkness, there is no insignificant person around this table. Each week we'll start right where we are. The dress code is your authenticity and your belief that impossible is merely a word to describe the degree of difficulty. Frankly speaking, with Tyra G is one of my most ambitious dreams. I thank God for every remembrance of you and your gifts of ideas, your presence, your encouragement. You've inspired me. I can't do the show without you. Thank you so very much. You're listening to Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, Cablecast on Cox and Verizon Files, Channel 37, and Comcast Channel 27 in Reston. And we are webcast worldwide on the internet at www.radiofairfax.org every Saturday evening at 8 p.m. Should you miss us, you can catch our archive, Frankly Speaking, with Tyra G Podcast, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you feel like connecting with me offline, it's easy. Email me, Tyra at TyraGarlington.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you, Courtney Nero, for composing and performing our Frankly Speaking theme song. And for naming it, I'm Listening. For five years, Frankly Speaking with Tyra G has been telling thematic stories to teach and touch the mind, the heart, and the spirit. They've been multicultural and intergenerational, educational and inspirational. They've been told by you, my cohorts, my listeners, my friends. Thank you so much. However, during this season of uncertainty and unrest, we've all been touched by a fresh sense of fragility in ourselves and in our social systems. This is a testing time. This is a time to accept that empathy is required. This is a time to realize that you're doing better than you think you are. This is a time to elevate voices of hope. This is a time to reimagine what is essential. This is a time for believers To remember the author of Genesis is also the author of the book of Revelation. He is still in the miracle business. 
This is a time to be encouraged. This month, Frankly Speaking, is focusing once again on phenomenal women and how we embrace and manage our universal experiences, our rainbows and clouds, our courage and our resolve. We are a journey, not a destination, a process, not an event. Even when we're still, we're in motion, loving, serving, nurturing, encouraging, and empowering. We are love, and love does. But sometimes, sometimes we get stuck between our no longer, the familiar, the habits, and our not yet, who we were created to be. And we may ask the question, am I enough? By the way, the right answer is a resounding yes. So check out our common moment of mindfulness today. We're going to look at how external mirrors often mess with our internal worthiness. In the words of life coach and award-winning author, Iana Vonsant, in her book, Until Today, written in 2000, and I quote, Life will work for me when I accept the labels on me don't always fit. Society with its structures, expectations, and divisions has fostered certain ideas about women that are not always flattering. There are many people who believe that strong women aren't feminine and that assertive women, women cannot be trusted. My all-time favorite is that women who exhibit any degree of clarity about who they are and what they are are dangerous. Do not forget that a bossy woman is domineering. That makes her the B word. We won't bother to mention the myth that women are not as smart as men or that they cannot handle money as well. The point here is some people who believe these things about women, some of them are women. Labels define, often labels set up expectations. Labels prescribe how much, how little, sometimes how long they can be used. Labels are descriptive, labels are protected, and labels can be removed. It just may be time to come and take the labels off women. It's prob probably more accurate to say it's time for women to take labels off themselves. In order for a woman to realize she is more than a mother, more than a wife, more than what she earns, or more than what she does to earn a living, she must know her own worth. It means she must test herself and her limits. A woman must learn to describe herself and establish her own expectations for herself. A woman must encourage herself. She must support and nurture herself. She must be willing to be disliked. She must be willing to violate the descriptions and confounds placed on her. Until today, you may have placed defining, confining, labels of unworthiness on women. But just, just for today, think of women as people. 
think of women as human beings and doing. They are divine energy of God. For any of you who follow me, you know in my manifest, I commit to encouraging and empowering women to walk in their worthiness. I'm amazed at the number of young, smart, beautiful women I meet who are not yet in comfortable, uh, comfortable in that space. My guest today lives in a space of worthiness, creativity, determination, and faith. But before you hear her speak, I want you to take a listen for a sample of the many gifts she brings to the table.
This is a perfect time to be reminded that life is beautiful. Leslie, I love it. I love it. I love it. We have another guest this week from the Midwest. Welcome, Leslie Zucker, award-winning playwright, author, singer, songwriter from Kansas City. Girl, you got the mic. (laughs) Oh, thank you for that. Oh, my gosh, I forgot how much I enjoy that song. I uh, was watching. So um, do you ever see that movie Pay It Forward? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that, and nobody warned me. So I watched it late at night all by myself. Ah. And then I sat and cried for, I don't know, an hour or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I did what you do when you're a writer and a musician. The only way I could deal with it. Uh, was to pick up my guitar and write a song, and that is the song that was inspired by that movie. Look at you. Well, I happen to know. Our listeners will soon find out. There's a whole bunch more than that one song inside of you that has gotten out, and I know there's a ton waiting. Why don't you let us see you through your own lens, your own voice, as to how you got to this and now? Yeah, yeah. I have always been a creative little thing my parents would tell you that I was singing before I was speaking practically oh and always uh, wrote in school um, I'm a singer songwriter I'm a composer a playwright a novelist a poet and I've always done little bits and pieces of that as long as I can remember mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. um, my parents are both musicians not professionally but my whole family was always very musical on both sides so i come by it pretty honestly I, you know i was pretty smart and a good student in school but always wanted more so i went off to college and then i dropped out of college <laughs> and then i got married and divorced mm. and then i went back and i finished college and then i got married and divorced again <laughs> and then i went back to school again and got a master's degree so it's been quite a journey it's when you ask me to write my story mm-hmm. and um talk about my life not as it's my resume but as my story mm-hmm. it's a it's an interesting little journey you know i've worked lots of little odd jobs here and there i taught college for a while what did you teach uh, in college oh i taught writing mm, okay composition mm-hmm. various levels of composition from freshmen to a little higher level. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that. I didn't enjoy grading the papers, but yeah, <laughs> uh, I enjoyed working with the students. Um, I tried to have a traditional, quote, traditional music career, quote, traditional writing career, whatever that means. I'm putting traditional in air quotes. Okay. Because I don't know that it really means what I always thought it meant, mm-hmm. just based on watching TV and movies and I don't know media the media presence that if you have a music career it looks like this or if you have a writing career it looks like that so i spent a lot of time feeling like a failure 
Mm. Um, now I'm kind of living the dream. Let me let me and really put an emphasis <laughs> on what you said uh, because uh, you talked about your musical career, and we just sample one piece of it. Just for fun, mm-hmm. Leslie, tell the people how you and I met and where you were. <laughs> Hi. I currently work as the music coordinator and soloist at a synagogue in Overland Park, Kansas. Yes. And we met <laughs> as a bat mitzvah where I was uh, the lead singer leading everyone in worship yes yeah and and it was interesting the way my shows come I'm realizing are more organic than I believe because we were leaving the sanctuary or yes and I stopped to tell Leslie how much I enjoyed her throughout the whole bat mitzvah and we just I don't know, we just start talking. She's all, well, you know, I like to write. I, I, and I kept listening, tell me more, tell me more. This is a show in the making, you know. And I, I invited her. And so it's taken a bit for us to get calendars and technology working for us at the same time. But um, your journey is not a straight one. And so oh, now that I've, I've interrupted you, but um, I wanted to get that <laughs> footnote in. Please pick up where I left off, where you left off? Well, kind of where I ended up now after some failed attempts. I don't (laughs) like that word. Let's strike that. Yes. Um, I I was with some people where we didn't bring out the best in each other. Uh And I now have an amazing partner. And he's actually, I think he's the reason we got so deep into conversation because you said, that you liked the music, and he said, well, if you liked her music, you should ask her about all the other things. That's what he said. You're absolutely right. That's who, that's the transition point. And Mm -hmm. now, and now Uh, I can see it now that you said it, because I couldn't remember what I said to you, but now it makes perfect sense. So he's your champion. He really is. Um, One thing that I'm terrible at is self-promotion. Ah, It just feels strange, and I don't know if that's being American or being a woman or just being me, Mm -hmm. but he is such a champion of me and of my work and of my creativity, and he'll tell anybody that will listen. I love it. Well, you should go check out this. Ask her about that. Well, you you do this for me. You thank him after the show, said, uh, Tyra sent you a message. Tyra, who's Tyra? Oh, come on. <laughs> you know who Tyra is. And then thank him for me, will you? I sure will. Okay. I sure will. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, now I have a, an amazing partner that I had always uh, dreamed of happening. I got to tell you, the only way I got the partner that I needed was by giving up the list of the partner I thought I wanted. Oh, talk uh, about that more, Leslie. Talk about that. Well, growing up, I had very distinct ideas of what I wanted in a partner, how he should look and what kind of job he should have and what kind of job he shouldn't have. And, you know, he, I wanted, I grew, I'm not extremely tall, but I grew fast. So mm-hmm. in junior high, I was taller than all the boys. And of course, that was terrible. <laughs> in junior high, that's terrible. At least I'm tall, you know, I know that, right? You know, yeah. So mm-hmm. I wanted somebody taller than I was, and um, I didn't want anybody in corporate America, and nobody too political. I wanted maybe <laughs> to be with an artist, and we would be artists together, and all these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I finally, after not 
finding the type of partner that I wanted, thought, you know what, I'm just going to throw this list out the window, and I'm going to try something. If you want, one of the things that my husband often says is, if you want something different, you can't keep doing the same thing. That's right. That is correct. I I know that. Yes. We had been friends for years, probably 10 years, Uh and he invited me out to dinner to celebrate me coming back to Kansas City after I've been gone for a while. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what? If this turns into a date, if this is an accidental date, I'm just going to let it happen and see where it goes. I give up. You know, he's shorter than I am. He, he, he's the man, right? He's got a job where he makes money and he's (laughs) kind of in corporate America. He's a tech guy and all this stuff. Uh, And it just, it has ended up being so amazing. Isn't it wonderful to know that we're not in control ultimately? Uh, You know, it kind of is. It's, It's a bit freeing. You know, for goodness sake, he picked me up in a Jaguar. When we started dating, he was driving a Jaguar. I'm like, really? I cannot date a guy that drives a Jaguar. I'm sorry. I just can't. Uh, okay. I that voice. I shushed that voice. And, <laughs> and we're go- let me just put it this way. We are so glad that you did. I have a feeling that a lot that you've done since you've been with him or around him even in his space uh, with his spirit, that a lot of this creativity flourished. That is 100% true, yeah. It's amazing what you can do when you are surrounded by people who support that, who support your creativity and encourage it. And um, just by just by the very presence. I don't know. It's weird. I think everybody should get a cheerleader. You should try it. And uh, if your life's not working out and you can't find the man or the woman or the person, mm-hmm. try something different. Try the thing you thought you couldn't do, and and uh, you might just be surprised. That is always my advice on that. And then I have the job. I kind of have a job that's amazing. Yes, kind of. I have a job that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives me free time to work on my other writing, but it also lets me. You know, I sing twice a week. In the Jewish world, we have services both Friday night and Saturday morning, and right. I am the worship leader, the music worship leader. So the rabbi and I lead services together Friday night. So twice a week mm-hmm. I'm singing um, and I get to compose some music and we do some of the prayers that I wrote music to. Oh, did you write uh, music to some of the prayers? I didn't yeah, know that. Yeah, we do. So in a Jewish service, the prayers are pretty set. There's a liturgy. Right, right, and right. A lot of it comes from the Torah. Right. Um, or from ancient poems. But within that there's lots of freedom to write new music so there are several prayers to which i have written new melodies and some of them we actually do during services yeah oh what a joy that is so awesome it truly is yeah well okay so i have so many questions and you do so many things i want to i don't know which to do first um talk about okay we'll go in it this way talk about potluck productions what is that yeah Potluck Productions is an organization in Kansas City whose purpose is to lift up the voices of women-identified playwrights. Playwriting for just, well, centuries has been a male-dominated right. sphere. Mm-hmm. And it's still fairly male-dominated. And our goal is to lift up women's voices. They used to do full productions of plays, mm-hmm. um, but when I came to them, we do readings now, so 
we'll do a reading and we try to get people to send in short plays so that we can lift up more voices. Okay. But it'll be three or four plays written by local women. And then we have a stable of incredibly talented actors who volunteer their time to bring these words to life. Because as a playwright, you can read your words on paper all day long, but you don't really know if it works until you hear them. That's right actually coming out of somebody's mouth. That's right. Yes, yes. Uh, before um, before we started the show, Leslie and I were talking because I asked, asked her, would she pick a portion of the book that she sent me that I read to read? And she was talking about she's one she's one voice and how she doesn't have an opportunity, doesn't feel that comfortable doing many voices. Uh, I might be misquoting you. But... Um, um, what is so important to me is I took screenwriting, right? I'm not a writer. I just wanted mm, to understand. Yeah. I wanted to understand. And I've learned that it's collaborative. I've learned the words come, then the music comes. Mm-hmm. I've learned that, that you can't put thoughts, you can't, you have to project everything that happens. You can't assume the nuance, you know? And so when I looked at her list of plays she's written, I was like, oh, my God, look at this, look at this. So we'll, we'll get to that. But I think it's significant, one, that you focused on a, the gender, the cohort, uh, that is not often brought to light. And I bet there are a lot mm-hmm. of fabulous women playwrights, right? Oh, so many. And we get, um, one of my joys is that we get a lot of new playwrights uh-huh. who maybe aren't the best yet, mm-hmm. but by giving them this place where they can hear their words and they can get feedback from actors and from audience, it, I think that that's truly amazing. I kind of came at it a different way. I didn't have that particular feedback, but that's, that's such a gift. Yeah, it to is. To have a place to take your work. Um, and it's a gift for everybody. So it's even a gift for an audience member. Look, if you've got an opportunity to go to a reading where they say they want feedback yes. or something is a work in progress, I encourage people to do that. That makes you part of the process. Well, the you other thing. that you, collaborator. Right, right, right. That's what I, collaboration. And the other thing that I don't think people understand, if you're produce, if you're writing a book, producing a play, you're giving probably the best that you have. You're putting it out there to be judged. And mm-hmm. it takes courage to do that. So a lot of times you're in a vulnerable space. You're saying, this oh, is yes. what I got. You know, what do you think? And it seemed like from everything I've read about uh, Potluck Productions, you create a safe space for these women as well. Am I correct? We certainly try. We do. We work really hard to make it a safe space. We, sometimes we fail, uh, but we, we do work for that. Okay. All right. Well, um, you do some other things besides potluck. What else do you do? Oh, gosh. Um, One thing that I did do, I don't do it anymore, but I'm going to tell you anyway, Um, (laughs) because it really hones my playwriting, is a friend of mine was a teacher in a local high school, Uh and I worked with her for eight years as an artist in resident where I would go in and I would meet with her advanced class. Uh-huh. And they would talk about what kind of character they wanted to play and what kind of story they would want to tell. And then I would write them a play. Oh, my goodness. Where it came from and how I honed my skill is once a year, I wrote a full length play for a different group of kids, which means that each group had a different set. I had to write a play that had, OK, this year we have 
12 boys and two girls. Uh-huh. Or this year we have 13 girls and two boys. Uh-huh. Or, you know, all of these different configurations. It's never the same number of students. It's never the same gender mix or um, desire of story or even skill. Okay. Uh, so I that was really good for me as a writer to have such strong parameters. Yeah. I still had to tell a story that felt fresh and new and meaningful to them. So and, it, how long did it take to... to- I know you were collaborating with them, and I'm thinking because of all the parameters you just gave us. Did it take longer or less time of you writing by yourself? Mm. Well, I'm I'm going to say less time because I had a deadline, okay, which is very helpful. Okay, that is the one thing every artistic person needs is a deadline. Okay, so I didn't have the option of oh, I just want to think about it a little longer. Okay. We met at the beginning of the school year, and then by a certain date. We had to be in rehearsals. Okay. So I had to I had to have it written within a month, a month and a half, I think. Oh my goodness! Was what that turnaround was, and I would go back in, and I will tell you what, high schoolers, man. I know. I would take the <laughs> play in, and we would do a reading, uh-huh. and they would ask incredibly obnoxiously smart questions, uh-huh. so that I would have to do at least one rewrite and make it better, and that's one of the reasons that the stories are so good is they, they ask really insightful questions. Yeah. Uh, and I wanted to, I wanted to give them the best that I could. So I would take it back and make it better. Well, the interesting thing uh, in that transaction is you listened. And Mm -hmm. I think intergenerationally now we're, we're losing that gift to listen to those that are coming behind. And sometimes yeah. those that are coming behind get a bad rep. And I I try to say, okay, you're talking, say for instance, people are downing millennials. I said, well, who were their parents? You know. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. So let's yeah, make well, sure we walk through the correct doors before we just, you know, start pounding. That sounds yeah. like a great way to hone a craft, though. It really it does. Is. It is. And I think you get that fear of not listening in the arts a lot. Look, when you create something, when you create a play, mm-hmm. I'm going I'm to stick on plays here because other types of art aren't necessarily as collaborative, right? Once I write a book, when you read it, you can think whatever you want to about it, but you're not going to change my words and put it back on the shelf. That's Correct. That's not how it works. Correct. Um, but with a play, uh, I have gone through several productions where the actors give feedback and if it's valid, I will change my script. Okay. I will actually, and um, recently had an actor say it was such an interesting and refreshing thing to work with a playwright who was willing to listen to the actors. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think that's really important. If you come to me as an actor and you say, this line doesn't work or this plot line doesn't work or I don't understand, that means that I have to look at it and say, do I really believe in it? Okay. Right? Yeah. So is this something I'm going to fight for? Because if it is, that tells me what's important to me. And I can come back and say, I want you to say it this way, and here's why, and here is why it's important. And I think a lot of playwrights, I know, unfortunately, a lot of them who are this is the way I wrote it. This is what I want you to do. And it's because I'm the playwright. Those okay. are the words you have. Them. As opposed to, no, I, let me tell you, 
And it is a gift that you don't get as an actor. Um, I've acted quite a bit through my life. Uh-huh. And how often do you actually get to interact with the playwright? Somebody hands you a script and you do the show. You don't get to ask, why did you have your character do this? It makes no sense to me. Right. So that is a real upside to being kind of on a smaller scale like I am is I get to actually be there with my actors and we get to collaborate in the same moment mm-hmm. as opposed to me coming in later and see what they did. <laughs> I hear you. I do. And I appreciate it from several levels. Uh, I appreciate theater. I appreciate, I, I'm hooked on uh, animation <laughs> and movies. I, you know, I just, mm-hmm. I love to see a thought become something I can consume someone else's yeah. thought. Yeah. And to me, that is such a gift and well, while we're talking about plays and all this, uh, give a shout out to the Fringe Festival. Oh, I love the Fringe Festival. It is a wackadoo banana pants experience. <laughs> <laughs> it, it really is. Uh, the original Fringe is from Scotland. Okay. Edinburgh, that's where it all started. But it has spread out across the world. So if you are near a city, that city at some point, a big city that has a fringe uh-huh. and the Kansas city fringe has been going, I don't know, it's 20, 30 years. And it is a week and a half, two weeks of utter creative chaos and brilliance. Different businesses across the city offer their spaces. Mm-hmm. So as a performer, I could be in a theater or I could be in a photography studio or I could be in a church or I could be any number of places. You never know where you're going to end up. So you have to write a show that could be performed just about anywhere. Oh, I love it. And I, oh yeah, it is, again, it's a unique challenge. You have a certain amount of time. You don't get to go into your space, but once right before the show. So you're trying to just figure everything out. And I got to be involved in two shows this year, Potluck Productions. Mm Mm-hmm did a show that was three short plays and I wrote one of those short plays Mm -hmm. and that was delightful. And then I took one of my own full lengths and I produced it and directed it and everything. You know, I was thinking when you said, uh, you don't know where you're going, you have your, whatever your, uh, creative is, it has to be able to be performed wherever, you know, and Mm -hmm. it sounds, Mm -hmm. it sounds like gaming, you know, you're challenged throughout the whole thing, you know, and to win is just to be able to be, to do, to deliver. And keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I really, I really, yeah. really love that. Um, and Shapes of Love, was that, is that a theme? Was that the theme? It was. So that was for Potluck. And we, that was the theme. We try to make sure that our three plays kind of relate one way or another. Mm-hmm. So each story in one way or another was a love story. Okay. I like that. I like that. Uh, speaking of love stories, uh, let's talk about your book. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't you introduce your book? And I need to tell my listening audience, uh, when she sent me this book, 486 something pages, I went, Okay, I know I try to read every book my audience, my guests give me. 
I don't know. So I start reading it. It's nothing like anything I've ever read. And I told Leslie before uh, we began the show, I couldn't put it down. So I want her to share in her words, one, what it is, why it is. And she's going to read just a little bit from it for us to give you an idea. Um, You're on. You got the mic. (laughs) And I would like to say the reason it's so many pages is that the font is pretty big. I, I chose a big readable font, and then I saw how many pages it was, and I decided I'd rather have it easy to read than um, a lower page count. It's called Blood Rising Home, which I wrote as something that could be a standalone, but I have been kind of deluged with requests for a sequel, so I'm mm. working on that. Good. At its, at, at its heart, it is about community mm-hmm. and family. Mm-hmm. And a woman who has shut herself off from both and is drug kicking and screaming back into both. Right. It kind of the genesis of this, I love coming of age stories. I just love a good coming of age story. Mm-hmm. And so I read a lot of young adult fiction and I just started to get irritated that there weren't a lot of, in, in what I read, not a lot of coming-of-age stories. I was like, I want a coming-of-age story for somebody my age. Uh-huh. I want a coming-of-age story. I love it. Think about it. Yeah. At every age, you're coming-of-age. Yes. Right? You hit your 30s. Okay, well, I'm coming-of-age to my 30s. You hit your 40s. I'm coming-of-age to my 40s, 50s, 60s, on and on and on. We're never there. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm making notes. I love it. We're always part of a coming-of-age story. So I wanted to write one for an adult, and that's what this is. It goes back and forth. I'm really pleased with it. Um, My mom liked it. I would get texts from my mom, I'm really angry with you right now. I can't put this book down, and it's not even the kind of book I read. Did she say that too? (laughs) She did. She said, I don't like like this, and this isn't the kind of book I read, and I can't stop. And to me, that's the hugest compliment. Yes, and you uh, deserve it. You know, well, thank you. Um, I wanted to tell the story of a woman who was coming into her own, and I think that she she does or she gets really close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's set in in this in this world only like slightly altered. Yes. So it's got a group of people who have blood powers by the nature of their blood some of them are faster some you know this is not a unique idea some of them can see better some of them uh, can hear better any of these little things it's a natural thing but the powers that be have decided it's a dangerous thing and this is about a woman not realizing that she is part of that world because she has cut herself off from pretty much everything Mm mm-hmm and we enter her story at a point where she has started to open up and she has a friend and mm-hmm. she has a girlfriend mm-hmm. and she thinks maybe she'll dip her toe back into the stream of actually being alive. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, all heck breaks loose and <laughs> there's a story. Yes. There. Trying to, you know, always trying to figure out how much to say without ruining the ending. But I am. I am working on more of the story because I fell so in love with the characters. Well, you just keep me, keep me informed and keep the print large, keep the print large. 
Yeah, and it's self-published. I did this myself. I did you? Okay. Spent a couple of years trying to get an agent, and uh, it just didn't. Nobody wanted it, and I realized that I could either cry in a corner about that, or I could use what resources are available to me. And I decided to self-publish. And I'm glad you did. Yeah, I'm pretty pleased with that. That made me think of something, and it already just fell out of my head. That's okay. Uh, but I am. I I am pleased with the whole process. Uh, and it's just, I always wanted, I don't remember a time. I'm sure there was a time was when I was too young to know what writing a book was. But I used to spend hours trying to figure out what my pen name would be. <laughs> I love it. I just so wanted to do, and then I got to a point where I just assumed it would never happen, and then it did. And I think part of the issue with getting an agent, um, I would say based on the response to the book, it's not a bad book. People seem to really enjoy it. So it's not because I have no talent. But what I will tell you is that it doesn't fall easily into a category. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I tried to, oh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't. But you, you, there's not a quick, it's a little bit fantasy. It's yes. a little bit soft science fiction. Yes. There's a little bit of cyberpunk. There's a little yes. bit of Yes, yes. And that's why I was, you know, like, oh, no, but I, I, I owe it to her to do this. And then I found myself receiving a present. I need you to read because we're going to talk way over time. Okay, okay. okay. So okay. I'm going to read a little bit. Okay. Uh, our main character, Lily, mm-hmm. has gone with, her frenemy Charlotte to try and rescue uh, a friend of theirs who has been captured by the bad guys Mm -hmm. who are called the sanguinary. Lily reached a hand behind her feeling along the wall until she found a doorknob praying. She wasn't walking into an office full of sanguinary. She backed in closing the door silently. She threw the bolt hoping it was common for this door to be locked. Mm. Alfie's luck must have been with her. Someone jiggled the doorknob trying to get in. She heard voices calling to each other, though she couldn't make out what they were saying. She feared it wasn't anything in her favor, but they didn't try to force the door. Willie turned to look fully at the room she'd entered. It looked like part of a medical facility. The room was filled with hospital beds and machines she'd seen in hospitals or hooked up to the more damaged tweakers at asylum. She quickly scanned the walls and found another door. She crept across the room and was relieved to find this door was also unlocked. She slipped silently through it and closed the door behind her. She tensed as lights flared up a long, straight tunnel. The light was amber and low. She held her breath and listened, but there were no hurrying footsteps to indicate she'd alerted anyone to her presence. She looked behind her, but determined it was safer to move forward than try to go back. She let herself breathe deeply and started moving as quickly and silently as she could. The tunnel was wide enough for four adults to walk abreast easily. It was mostly empty, but Lily occasionally came across another hospital bed or an IV hanging on a tall metal stand. Before long, she could see a brightly, slightly brighter blue light ahead of her. Wherever the tunnel led, she was almost there. She emerged cautiously. She was in some kind of anteroom lined with shiny silver trays that reminded her of tea service. But instead of cups and saucers, the trays held scalpels, syringes, and bandages. What was this place? 
Again, Lily held her breath and listened. The only thing she could hear was a, a chorus of gentle gurgling, like several aquariums, each with a slightly different aerator. She took a deep breath and stepped into a cavernous room filled with three long rows of giant vertical glass tubes, each filled with some kind of gently bubbling fluid. She couldn't quite make out what they held, uh, some kind of animal, maybe? The gurgling was coming from the strange tubular tanks. As Lily crept toward the first tank, she slowed to a stop, mm-hmm. hands covering her mouth to stifle a, cre- a scream, hold in the horror. The things floating in the tank were people. Mm-hmm. End scene. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> now, what, what you just read, people need to know that we, through Lily, do experience love and friendship and again family and not necessarily traditional family and family Mm -hmm. that morphs you know it grows it shrinks and and we get to mourn with her and we get to celebrate I mean I think that she almost had 360 degrees of experiences that allowed her emotions to get her back to the point where she wanted to live again, you know. Thank you. Yeah. And she really uh, took on a life of her own. There were parts of that I got to tell you parts of the story that I did not want to write. Yeah. I did not like writing. Okay. Um, and you'll know what they are. I'm not going to say what they are because I want people to have some surprises. And I do. Unpleasant things. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, I cried. Yeah. When I realized a couple of things that were going to happen, I'm the one who cried. But it, the story knew what it wanted to do. And so I followed that, and I'm really glad that I did. Well, I want to, oh, my. Uh, I guess I guess what I'm doing right now is saying you got to come back because um, I didn't get 50% through the kinds of things I wanted to do and <laughs> talk about. And um, I just, I'm making that commitment, and I hope you'll agree to an additional invitation because oh, I, would uh, love to. I want uh, I want to uh, play another song based on the conversation you've had. I'm choosing one off of uh, Fool's Moon CD, and mm-hmm. it's called I Am.
that song was obviously written by someone who walks in her worthiness. That's all I got to say. Mm. Did you like it? Thank you. No, thank thank you. you. I tell you, um, I spend so much time thinking about the next thing. What's the next play I'm going to write? What's the next song I'm going to write? Oh, I got to write these new books. I forget that there is a positive looking back. And thank you for that reminder of listening to my old stuff. I mean, yes. I still sing it occasionally, but it's it's not the same as, oh, I did this thing. So thank you for that gift. Oh, listen, uh, this is just the beginning. But before we have to sign off this time, I did give you an assignment. And it was to write a letter to your younger self. And you're so obedient. I know you've done that. <laughs> so I am, I am such a good student, yes. Okay, so <laughs> I want you now, my dear, to begin with that. Dear young Leslie, hey babe, you are doing great. 
I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but everything's going to be all right. You are amazing. And I promise you two things. One, you are headed for a place where you will be surrounded by people who see and support that. And two, you're also headed for a place where you can look back and see the people who always did. Look, I know I'm not supposed to give advice, but I'm going to anyway. Try to remember that time is long, but we are only ever right now. Cynicism and despair are seductive, and they have amazing PR. But you are bigger than that. Hold on to your big heart and your big smile and let them both out whenever you can. Optimism and hope are not weaknesses. They are superpowers. And the same with fake it until you make it. You are amazing. I know I already said that, but it's true. Just keep being you. Don't make that face at me. Or do. And keep being you anyway. Love from the future. Old Leslie. Never old Leslie. <laughs> Evolving Leslie. I'm going to pick up on what Leslie said to herself. I want to make sure all of my listeners understand that you indeed are amazing just yes. as you are. You are stronger than you feel. You are smarter than you think. You are more loved than you can ever imagine. And you're more beautiful than you know. Your job is to keep going forward. And I just got to tell you, I love frankly speaking with Tyra G because I have a time to have a spiritual connection with those of you who are listening. And for all of you who continue to contribute, you make my day, you make my heart smile. Please understand that your seat at the table is guaranteed. And I'm here, and I'm listening, and I love you. You've been listening to Frankly Speaking with Tyra G on Radio Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia, with my special guest, Ms. Leslie Zucker from the Midwest. Yes, she is. And she's coming back. Yes, she's coming back. Thank you. Thank you. And until next time, my friends, treat yourself like someone you love. You deserve it.